I'm Fox 8 meteorologist Brian Shaw. The new kid on the block. Psychology and meteorology seem like very strange bedfellows. That's exactly what Fox 8's Andre Bernier and Scott Stabler are talking about. Eat your heart out, Sigmund Freud. Get nice and comfy on the couch. Today's episode of Weather Jazz. Weather Jazz. Weather Jazz. Weather Jazz. Welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything. Weather, science, earth science, and a whole lot more. I'm your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz podcast, Andre Bornier. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. And this is episode number 221 for Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. And what a stunning day we have in progress. And in fact, if you have selected this week as vacation week, you have done very, very well. Usually in the summer, in the span of a summer, June, July, and August, there is a handful of weeks that can qualify as being a week worthy of vacation time naturally. Uh, If everybody knew what week that would be, I think uh, we would be inundated with vacation weeks and uh, everybody would be on vacation this week. But obviously, uh, it's always a roulette wheel spinning when we're taking those uh, vacation weeks. And so those of you that selected this week, good for you. This is fantastic. Well, before we get to today's topic, which deals with psychology and meteorology together, as we just heard, we're going to go to the Weather Jazz Audience Podcast Connect line. And we have a listener question, which is really timely in the sense that just uh, about a week and a half ago, we had a line of thunderstorms go through on a Saturday night. And during that thunderstorm line that came through and it was uh, somewhere between 11 p.m. and 12:30 a.m. on a Saturday night and early Sunday morning something unusual happened that was noticed by one of our listeners here's the question it comes in from Chesterland and this is Ray asking his question hello Andre this is Ray Wernette from Chesterland a Saturday, July 24th, around 10, 30, 11 o'clock, there were several groups of extremely loud thunder. It actually shook my house. And those things kept on rolling for quite a long time. I realized it was a heavy-duty thunderstorm coming through, but it was just rolling and rolling and rolling. What causes thunder to roll on sometimes when generally it's just a sharp crack or two? Uh, I enjoy your your weather forecast, and I hope this makes your program. Ray Warnett, Chesterland. Thanks a lot. Well, Ray, that is an excellent question. Thank you so much for giving us a call. I'm sure there were a lot of people that noticed that about a week and a half ago when we had those thunderstorms go through. The thunder was not the usual sharp clap and roll, and then it fades away. But rather, the thunder rolled and rolled and rolled, and in some cases, 
rolled to the point where it shook the house and the rolling went on for, in some cases, 20, even 30 seconds. And there is an explanation for this. Whenever you get these thunderstorms that produce the constant rolling and sometimes the rolling that amplifies right in the middle, what you're hearing is actually the result of a lightning strike, which is not vertical. In other words, it doesn't go from the clouds straight down to the ground, as we frequently will see. Those produce the sharp clap and then the roll-off. But a lightning strike, which goes on for miles and miles and miles in the horizontal, in other words, cloud to cloud, because what you're listening to is the sonic shock wave, from the rapid expansion of the air right around the lightning bolt, because it's horizontal and goes on for miles in the horizontal, what you're listening to is the rolling because sound does not travel instantaneously uh, as light does, uh, even though the speed of light uh, is, for all intents and purposes, constant, but it's so fast. You might as well call it instantaneous. Not so for sound waves. Sound waves travel at just over 700 miles per hour. So if you have a lightning bolt that is many miles long, you're going to hear the rumbling from the rapid expansion along that lightning bolt instead of a sharp clap and a sharp roll-off for a lightning bolt that goes from the cloud down to the ground. So the next time you hear that constant rolling and grumbling, and in some cases amplifying even to the point where it shakes the house, know that what you're probably listening to is a lightning bolt that is not striking the ground, but rather is discharging for miles in the horizontal cloud to cloud. And that's exactly what happened about a week and a half ago. Ray, thanks for your question. Fantastic question. Keep them coming, and we will answer them as best as we can right here on Weather Jazz. But right now, we're going to dig into kind of an interesting topic in the sense that you would never consider the fact that psychology and meteorology would go hand in hand. But in a very specific sense, they do. And that's where my special guest comes in. You see, this is something that he studies quite a bit. His name's Scott Sable. You know him as the morning meteorologist at Fox 8. And this is something that he has studied quite a bit and has written quite a bit on his blog. So uh, we'll go ahead and give you some of the specifics and some of the links on weatherjazz.com episode show notes 221 that will be there for you a little bit later but what i'd like to do right now is just go right into the conversation that we had today with scott sable and a subject that deals with psychology and meteorology all right here we go scott Uh, this is something that has been very very close to your vest for quite some time. Explain to the audience what got your interest in the psychology of meteorology and what exactly do you mean by that? 
So it goes back to right around when the recession happened. So we're going back to around 2008, 2009. And you remember back then, you know, we're going back, what, 14 years ago or so, 13, 14 years ago, everyone's portfolio took a big hit. Mm. Okay. If you have a 401k and I started reading about the markets and I was already kind of involved with the markets, um, you know, studying, you know, retirement and, and how markets operate going back to the 1990s. But I also started reading about behavioral finance and then why people make the decisions that they make when the markets behave the way that they do. And I started noticing that people were making rash judgments around the recession. You know, if you had if you had your 401k, people were selling off. They wanted to completely get out of the market. And then I started studying. Why is that happening? Well, there was a psychology there because people thought, okay, well, my mark, my, you know, they weren't thinking down the road. Their bias, basically, their bias for getting in the way. They saw what was going on, and they made an emotional, reactive, impulsive, you know, just a, an, an impulsive reaction to what was going on. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm studying this and studying why the recession happened and how complex the markets are and the economy is. And I was also looking at, well, why are people looking at this? With, 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 with these bias. And then it got me thinking, you know, we all have inherent bias, mm-hmm. you know, it's hardwired in our DNA, how we, how we perceive things, you know, some of it is nature, some of it's nurture, but a lot of it is, you know, primal, you know, how the, how the caveman operated, you know, there's certain things genetically uh, that, 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 you know, that we're predisposed, make, it, it causes us to be predisposed to react a certain way. So anyway, so that was the genesis of all this. And I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, as a meteorologist, people tend to react to forecast a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, they tend to look at forecasts uh, with a certain bias, whether it's what I call a spatial bias, meaning, man, this, this is only happening in my backyard and it can't happening anywhere else in my backyard is, the way, you know, they don't, they just, they do it involuntarily. They don't necessarily do it verbally like I'm doing here, or they react to the forecast negatively. All those weather people don't know what they're talking about. How can they keep screwing this up? That sort of thing. So I thought to myself, you know, there, there, there must be some way to use the study of psychology and use that in an applied way to how we forecast and the words that we use and the way that we forecast the weather. And so it's been a constant evolution. You know, when I get involved with something, Andre, as you know, I want to study all about it. I want to know how it works. I want to know. And this kind of snowballed into writing a bunch of posts on my weather blog on psychology, how the brain works, what chemicals are released, released when we're when we're presented with certain types of information, whether it's a story, whether it's numbers. And then I was piecing all these different uh, these elements together and, you know, over the span of, you know, four or five years. And it, it, it just kind of snowballed. And eventually all that stuff kind of I, I interwove it in how I do forecasts. So that was the genesis of all this. When was your first post? I remember uh, something almost about that time uh, on your blog because you keep a, a great science mm-hmm. and weather blog and uh, we'll provide the link on weatherjazz.com episode number 221 for anybody who's interested in signing up for that but uh, as i recall it was fairly close to that time that your first entry uh was on the psychology of understanding the television weather forecast 
It was. It was almost 10 years ago. I think I had one in late 2011, which kind of glossed over some of my thoughts. Mm -hmm. But the big one was in January of 2012. In fact, I printed it out here because sometimes I make reference to it. And you know how every time you look at something and you read it and you go, whoa, I went into a lot of detail here and I really got probably too deep in the weeds. But like any blog, any blog is almost like a, a diary of how you mm -hmm. think and what you're thinking about. And and that was kind of the, uh, the primer for a lot of other posts. So it was January of 2012. Um, and and the title is Weather and the Human Condition, Meteorologists Can't Win This Battle. <laughs> and so I just started talking about how we, um, you know, in, in atypical weather patterns, you know, people want something that's very definitive and sometimes something that's atypical, you know, especially in um, uh, maybe in a winter pattern or a summer pattern where things are kind of all over the place. <clears throat> people don't handle that that uh, that uncertainty very well. And so I went into detail on that and talked about um some other things too, which we'll get to cognitive dissonance, for instance, I talked about that. So we're almost, it's almost 10 years ago uh, that I wrote that first blog. Mm -hmm. All right. What have you learned since then? <laughs> have you refined it? Uh, is there anything new? Well, I continue to study bias. Mm -hmm. I'm always adding to my list of bias. And there's, you can do a Google search on cognitive bias and you can find a laundry list of different bias that we all suffer from, regardless of our politics, our background. We're all human beings. We all suffer from bias. So I'm constantly adding to, to the list. Most of them can be applied to, um, to, Presentations such as you know weather presentation, journalism, you know things where the public is 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 being um, where you're presenting things to the public. Like most of those are applied. Some of them aren't. Aren't. But I think the biggest thing for me is I'm taking all of these different pieces and I'm constantly adapting my forecast to fit these bias. I'm always and I have it written out here because I wanted it. Where was it? Here, let me get to it. I'm always uh, trying to answer the question. Where is it? Where is it? It's right here. I always want to answer the question. How is the public, the viewer, interpreting mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Right. That's the ultimate question. And each and, and I've trained my mind in every time where I do a forecast in the morning, I think to myself, okay, there's all this technical weather stuff. There's all these computer models and these equations. But ultimately, in the two or three minutes I have, how is the viewer interpreting what I'm saying? So that's how I've really... I've just ingrained that in my head. So it it sounds like uh, you have adapted some of that information to uh, a point where it really changes the way that you present things on television. So the question then, given let's take uh, the pre-recession, let's take 2008, a forecast sure. that you did in 2008 and a television forecast that you do in 2021. How is it different? So back then I would have a map and I would have a general maybe a map across the eastern half of the country and it would highlight a cold front coming through and I would storyboard it in, in, in a current chronology of events today, tonight, tomorrow extended, which I do now. Um, I would probably back then talk more about the dynamics of the cold front and I would talk about what the cold front is doing. And I think I would probably and sometimes I do this now, but I would then looking back, I would end up getting lost in the details of mm -hmm. that cold front. And I wouldn't ultimately tie 
what that Coltrane is doing and how it's going to impact us here in Northern Ohio, for instance, I, sometimes there would be a disconnect mm-hmm. or I would have an eight day forecast and I would have a bunch of percentages on the eight day forecast. And I, and, and now and back then I would just be the percentages, the number and the symbol. Now, you know, more than a decade later, I'm looking at that going, what does all this stuff mean? The viewer is going to look at these percentages and go, what? this isn't usable. Right. I have to be able to use this information mm-hmm. that cold front in North Dakota. What do I care? Is that cold? What's that cold front doing? So now I would talk about this front and go, okay, here's the front. Look at what it's doing in the Dakotas. This is coming through in 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are we going to end up getting from that front? We're going to end up getting a shower. Okay. That's great. Who's going to be impacted by that? All right. The Eastern half of the viewing area. What's the time frame on that? between noon and four. What's the biggest threat? All right, the biggest threat will be mainly light to moderate rainfall. There might be a thunderstorm, but we're not anticipating anything severe. So I'm answering all of these questions that are that's usable and applied information for the viewer. And now that we didn't have back then, I tried to give them information that they don't get on a weather app mm-hmm. because weather apps just give you right. the broad-based stuff. So that's the difference. Right. And my constant question to everybody uh, in the weather office, uh, especially looking at an eight-day that is particularly cluttered, uh, mm-hmm. and it's cluttered with numbers, it's cluttered with symbols, it's, cl- it's cluttered, and it's so cluttered that you look at it and you walk away thinking, what in the world did I just look at? Uh, my constant advice to everybody is at the end of your forecast period, when you look at that eight day, does it tell a story? Can you, can you look at it in 10 seconds and see what the story is? If you can't, you've not done your job. And that's where some of the psychology kind of works in. Exactly. And for me, you will rarely with rarely just see me post, you know, 20 percent every day on an eight day. Mm. To me, that doesn't tell the story. Now, I might I might end up putting a qualifier over that or eliminate the or what I'll do is I'll eliminate those numbers and we'll have a qualifier up there that might say, Oh, I don't know. Something real short, like isolated or maybe a few words that describe the entire eight day as a whole. Like when we have some pop up storms that just give people the generalized idea. And then verbally, I'll mention, all right, you know what? Our confidence level is pretty high that this is going to be spotty. But right now, we don't really know the specific timing. And as we get closer, we'll have a better idea. You know, all this harkens back to the way that we perceive and the way that the brain, and this goes back to the way that, that the humans work, when you're presented with numbers, a portion of your brain, um, the, the, the portion of your brain, um, actually, let me, let me switch this around. You, you, you pre, you're presented with numbers versus a nice narrative or a story. If you're presented with a story that has a personal connection, all right, and I think this is key, a forecast that people can relate to. And, and where they can draw a personal connection or release chemicals in your brain that make people feel good. Mm-hmm. So when you think about that, and I like to do this, I used to do this all the time. I would put a picture of bacon on Facebook. <laughs> and, and it's funny yeah. because what do you do when you post a picture of bacon? You're thinking what it smells oh, like, what yeah. it tastes like. And honest mm-hmm. to God, you'll have hundreds of people commenting because it's triggering that emotional center in your brain chemically, and it makes people feel good. So what I'll do is then I'll post like uh, an equation, some sort of weird differential equation and nothing. Mm. 
because it doesn't make people feel good. It's just the way our brains work. Plots of bacon and a picture of bacon. So we have to remember that. I think when we do a forecast, you know, and this is something that I read somewhere, mass media is for the masses, but regarding weather risk is personal to the public. Yet people want personal forecasts. That sometimes is a huge conundrum because you need to give that narrative mm-hmm. to allow for that personal connection. But yet there's always numbers that need to be conveyed too, and sometimes those don't necessarily you know jive in the way that the, we uh, uh, the way that we handle things. But it, there has to be a personal connection, and there has to be a narrative as much as weather is anything but sometimes when we deal with numbers and uncertainty. So uh, you're trying to produce an endorphin rush when the people look at the forecast in some way, shape or form, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You want make, you want, want people to feel good. And, 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 and what I've been doing now, and it's kind of shaped the way that I think about everything. When you look and when you talk to people, what do they ultimately give you? They give you some personal story, mm-hmm. right? Yes. They tell you something. Emotion, I don't care what it's about. They give you a personal story and the way that you handle it, in your brain, you like those personal stories. That's why the cavemen drew pictures on the wall. They were trying to create a narrative and it's hardware in our DNA. That's just the way that our brains operate. So it's something that we can't ignore. I remember one person said, well, you don't want us to be human. We all have to be human, but I think we need to understand why our brains do the way, you know, mm-hmm. do what they do. And ultimately I think in our weather forecast nowadays, we have to, we have to understand that and understand the limitations. Here's a good example of that. Recently we shot some, weather promos where we answered your questions. One of the questions that I tackled was the July 4th, 1969 uh, severe weather Mm -hmm. episode, the derecho that essentially moved through and uh, the question, were there any tornadoes? And there were three, but none of them were in Cleveland. There was one in Lake County and the two were out towards Findlay. Uh, so it was essentially a big straight line wind event. So uh, I went into this very quick 20 second sure. explanation. I just got a letter yesterday, Scott, opened it up and it was somebody from Campton. It was a four page letter and it, it was wow. just explaining his side of a story and how right, he was sure. in Cleveland. This happened to me. I was trying to get home. I was trying to get here. It took me seven and a half hours to get home that night. And I was waiting for uh, the punchline. And well, there was none. It was his story. He just wanted to right. share his story. That's all he wanted to do. And it was a fascinating right. read. I mean, usually, if I get a, a letter that's any longer than one page, it's it's usually not worthy of my time. But in this case, it was because it was right. it was a great story. Uh, and again, it, it dealt with the personal side the story side of the forecast. Exactly. And that's a prime example. You know, I remember, uh, and I was just a little kid at the time, but the blizzard of 78, you know, um, back then, you know, you hear, you see pictures, you hear stories about snow drifts, 30, 40 feet high. The, 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 the turnpike was shut down. But when you look at the data, the numbers, mm-hmm. again, that's a big turnoff to people. I always tell people 
only between eight and 14 inches of snowfall that day. And I, when I remember mentioning that to people and they looked at me and they said, that is not true. I remember this, this, and this. And so immediately my mind goes to, okay, they're telling me a story. Mm-hmm. That story obviously is inflated over time. And it tends to be, you know, um, it, it, probably blown out of proportion, like most stories are. Um, but that's what we do. Typically people don't regurgitate data. I'm a data guy mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, but it wasn't so much because of the back then it wasn't because of the snow that fell. We already had 25 inches of snow on the ground and hundred mile an hour winds. But once again, it goes back to the story and that personal connection, you know, it's, and I remember I highlighted something here, emotional centers of the brain aren't activated when presented with probabilities or numbers. Our brains simplify probability using a story that we can relate to. Mm-hmm. And therein lies the, you know, the, the, the technical reason why you get stories like you did there. And like we get what's special. We talk about old weather events. So I, I caught a fish this big, this, (laughs) yeah, right. It was huge. (laughs) Uh, So what do we do with this now? All right. And, and it's all valid, all fascinating, all interesting in the sense that uh, as a meteorologist, we have to wear many hats. We have to wear a presenter hat. We have to wear a communicator's hat. We have to wear the meteorologist, the scientist hat. Sure. We have to wear a psychologist's hat to make sure that we're communicating things the correct way. What's mm-hmm. the takeaway now? How are we to adjust, not only as a viewer and a listener, but as a mm-hmm. meteorologist on the other side of the camera, what do we do with all this? So, so it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. It's not just us. It's the viewer. We have to look at it from, 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 from two ways, like you said. We all have to remember, I think, any, any public official for that matter, whether it's weather or otherwise, but specifically with meteorology, we need to remember that public perception is very powerful. Mm-hmm. All right. There's already a negative perception on science and especially with meteorologists, right? Meteorologists, you know, weather affects everybody. And the perception is already that, that meteorology and weather people, you know, man, I could do this if I just look out the window. And we always have to remember that we can't really control it, but we have to remember that. Um, we need to be a better communicators. And I think the weather service in the last couple of years is now starting to change some of their warning and advisory wording because some of it is, and they'll admit it is kind of convoluted. It's, it's, it's old. And they're now starting to take that list of, you know, dozens of, of watches and warnings and advisories, which nobody know what they, what they mean. And they're starting to trim that down to try to better convey what's going on. Um, you know, for me, it's always choice of words especially when it's covering severe weather for me in Northern Ohio, because we don't, it doesn't happen as often as what we, what, what we think I rarely use the word severe. I don't care if we have a slight risk, unless it's a moderate risk, unless there's a big line coming through personally, I rarely use that word. I'll use the word strong, but I'll rarely use the word severe mm-hmm. because most times what do people think of? They think of tornado, oh, yeah. right? They think of tornado winds, something blowing off their house. So for me, I don't do that. So I think we really need as meteorologists and as communicators need to, to quality control what we do and choose our words wisely. On top of all that, I think we have to remember that human beings, we all dislike uncertainty, right? We like things black and white. And we need to understand that, especially when we're trying to convey something. This is a a sentence, two sentences that I have posted on Twitter, and I'll read it for you. Too much emphasis on uncertainty breeds confusion and ultimately inaction. And it could 
ultimately lead to apathy when the next big snow event or severe weather event happens. I think we all as communicators need to understand the psychology and find a delicate balance between voicing uncertainty in the forecast and sticking to a forecast geared to the general public without causing social media unrest, mm-hmm. which unfortunately is something we have to worry about now. I think that's what we need to deal with uh, as meteorologists. I think the public, and I think human beings in general, I think we all need to remember that we all have bias. You know, and this is maybe getting a little off topic, but we all have bias. And I think we all have to remember that and and try to kind of quell our emotional reaction to to weather forecasts and remember the science. So one of my posts I put here. So remember the psychology. How did you react? Meaning the viewer when you heard a forecast, did you dismiss the science that we were trying to convey? And how did you handle probability? How did it make you feel? Did you like hearing an explanation of why the weather does what it does? Do you oversimplify the weather in your head? Are you aware of your bias? You know, I think those are things that the general public needs to also do too. So there's a two way street here. Mm -hmm. Well, tell folks where your blog is located and how often do you write about uh, the psychology of weather whenever you have something new or what's what's usually when yeah you you know what i haven't done it in a long Mm. time uh because of my my work constraints um but usually especially during a snow event Mm. uh sometimes i'll just re re repost some of the stuff i've written um as a um, as a hey look here this is our snowfall forecast we went with this is why we went with a range by the way folks this is why we don't give you specific numbers for Painesville or specific numbers for Mansfield because one number with snowfall doesn't do it justice and sometimes I'll go into the specifics on why snow is different than rain so it doesn't I don't write about it as much as I need to mm-hmm. sometimes I'll tweet something about spatial bias but I don't want to come across too as a know-it-all you know I don't want to come across as some you know some somebody who's air that's the one thing I don't want to do. And so I always pick my pick my battles. Um, but I do blog. Sometimes I'll blog something that's totally unrelated to, to psychology. You know, I've had the blog since 2005 and it's there if you want to check out stuff. But if you go to my weather blog and you type in, in the search uh, bias or psychology or, or a term that maybe I coined, maybe I didn't. I don't know. Called behavioral meteorology. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'll take credit for it until someone tells me otherwise. Um, anyway, I've written about stuff for the last decade, and and I'm probably going to write something else. You know, you know, coming up here, especially with the Woolly Bear Festival coming up and the Woolly Bear forecast. And I, I wrote something about uh, too about the, the groundhog and why we like groundhog, why we like folklore. You know, why? Mm-hmm. Well, because it's a narrative, it's a neat story, and it's stuff that's passed down. So I'll probably start writing more as we head into the fall. And speaking of which, the old Farmer's Almanac just came out with their winter forecast, and uh, that, that's a good example uh, of uh, kind of a mix of, of folklore, and and everybody's interested in the old Farmer's Almanac winter forecast. Uh, right. Even though it's, uh, in all probability, going to... You're going to do well when you forecast flurries between the 27th and the 31st, because chances are you're going to see flurries somewhere in that period. So you're going to verify. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love it. I get I get the Farmer's Almanac every year. And there's a lot of good stuff. Oh, in there. absolutely. You know, you know, a lot of great stories. Yeah. I love the Farmer's Almanac. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a blog post, too, on why, you know, what's the accuracy of the Farmer's Almanac and how that's different than than science. And again, it's not to shoot down all that no. stuff. It's just, you know, it's it's we, we make more out of it than maybe what it is. 
Well, one last thought uh, before mm-hmm. we wrap things up. And uh, I have found that the highest level of endorphins released, uh, and this has uh, been technically verified, uh, every time I use nackets, everybody goes, yes! Yeah. <laughs> There you go. There you go. I mean, they remember, they know what that means. It's not a cloud in the sky and they visualize, a, you know, a, you know, a beautiful day. So, um, right. Yeah. So that's, that's how it works. I appreciate having me on. Andre. This is something I've wanted to do for a long time. And, 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 and I hope, I hope everybody, what they get out of this is that, you know, what we do as meteorologists on TV isn't, isn't what we used to do back in the seventies and eighties. It's a lot more involved and there's a lot more science and a lot more research that we, uh, that we tackle and, and look at each and every time. And, and, you know, we, we choose our words wisely each and every time we go on the air. Without a doubt, an interesting topic, and we'll elaborate periodically, especially when something comes up along those lines where we have a very specific example. Weather-wise, meteorologically, it might be worth revisiting. Now, for those of you that are interested, I'm going to supply the links to some of the very specific blog posts that Scott has made along those lines, along with a general link for his blog post, just in case you'd like to sign up to receive notification anytime and every time that he posts. Again, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please help me to spread the word, especially if you know somebody that would benefit in understanding the dynamics between psychology and meteorology. So get out there on your social media pages, your email, and over the fence to your next door neighbor. Now, just like Ray at the beginning of today's episode, if you have a question or a topic suggestion, please call me and use the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. It's 234-525-5888. Again, 234-525-5888. And just in case you're on the road, you can't transcribe that. I always tell folks, don't worry about that. Just go to weatherjazz.com when you have a chance. Click on the Contacts tab at the very top, and you'll get my email address, and you'll also get the weather jazz audience podcast connect line so that you can contact me one way or the other well i've got a very special open line friday podcast coming up an episode and oh it's episode number 222 how about that that's a really great number it's already in the can pre-produced and ready to go for those of you that subscribe to weather jazz via your podcast app then you will get that downloaded into your device by 7 a.m. Eventually, it'll appear on weatherjazz.com. But that's another good reason to make sure that you have Weather Jazz as something to which you subscribe using your favorite podcast app. And there are a ton of them out there, but I am on every single one from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to Breaker to Stitcher to Google Casts and more. So we're going to see you on Friday with that really fun episode right here on Weather Jazz. Weather and science across the globe. The Weather Jazz Podcast.